Good morning, Rabotai. There's an extra amount of juice after Shavuot. You know, it's funny when you're simultaneously exhausted and supercharged, right? The morning after Shavuot. Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast on the Class. Breakfast on the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Ms. Lily Seferdin Shmat Le'abatchana. Whose philanthropy has reached so many throughout the entire world. For Ashlema, for Rabbani Chana Farchi, Chana Bat Simafega, and for Rabbi Eli Avadi. Eliyahu Shimon Ben Mazal Fortuna. We're finding out if it's Fortuna or Fortune, uh, even though we know that in uh, French it's one way and the other way is, uh, but the question is how to pray. So uh, someone will let us know uh, if it's Fortuna or Fortune in the, in the, in the Teilim. As well, dedicated loving memory of Victor Megidish. Alava Shalom Linushmat Victor Ben Amos and Huta, sponsored by his sister Tamar Megidish. Also, breakfast of the class dedicated loving memory of Joe Dur. Alava Shalom Linushmat Yosef Ben Chinya. May his Nishama have an Aliyah. And thanks to the rabbis for their beautiful words of Torah every day. Claudia and Marcus Dur and family. And Mabruk on the wedding. Finally, the week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. We are joined today by a long-term listener from the West Coast uh, and a first-time attender, uh, Zaku Baruch to Sherman. Sherwin, Mateen? Matian. So we got it wrong the first name and we got it wrong the last name, but now we got it. Sherwin Matian. Baruch Hashem. Sorry, now you know exactly. Mess up the name, you know your family. What, a, what is it? Good to have you here with us. Uh, it's good to hear that we have people listening on the opposite side of, uh, of this country. And to know that they're being serviced uh, by some great Chazak rabbis out there too. Rabbi Ari Ben Shushan. Is that, is that true? Okay, excellent. Uh, shout out to Rabbi Mayer, uh, Rabbi Mayer Sultan as well in the valley. All he's doing for Chazak in the valley as well. Uh, please only answer Amen if you're listening to this live. Baruch Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, man, uh, uh, where is he? Thank you very much. Hazar Baruch, Manuel. Okay, let us begin. We are now in Parashat Naso. And in Parashat Naso, we have a beautiful, a beautiful limud. Just telling Avi a minute ago that this is the week of Birkat Kohanim. We read about Birkat Kohanim, where the Kohanim bless the Jewish people. Yivarecha Hashem Vishmerecha. Hashem should bless you and protect you. Ya'er Hashem Panav Elecha Vichunecha. Hashem should shine his face upon you and grant you. Vichuneka and grant you grace. Interesting expression, what that means, Vichuneka. And finally, the last of the Berachot is Yisa Hashem Panav Elecha. Hashem should lift his face to you, towards you. Yasem Lecha Shalom. And God should place Yasem Lecha. And he should place peace upon you. We have a lot to talk about in Berkat Kohanim, but today I want to talk about something which is a little bit elusive, something which is hard to understand. You tell me God's going to bless me, I get it. Protect me, I get it. Give me shalom, I get it. What does it mean that God's going to shine His face to me, right? And grant me grace. Vichuneka. Another opinion means, says, translates vichuneka is that God will show me compassion from the word chanun, right? Vichuneka. It's a strange uh, verb then. Vichuneka. Maybe it would be uh, right? It's a strange way of saying that God will have compassion on you. So the 
the Sfarim give different interpretations. But I'd like to share an example of what this idea means. You know, uh, when, the, uh, when the country of Eretz Israel was first being set up, so there was a, a big mess, a big entanglement of how to figure out what the laws of the land should be. Now you come to this land, has no constitution, by the way, still has none, right? Has no constitution. As we talked about this a while ago, part of the reason why is because in order to, to enable a constitution, the constitution needs to predate political leanings. Today, if we tried to come with a constitution, how would that go? Right, just, you would have everyone fighting for whatever they want and then no one would get nothing, get anywhere. In, Amer- in American law, part of the reason why you were able to institute a constitution is because there were political factions you had, you were able to have a bunch of people get in a room, hammer out what they thought the, should be the governance of that country. So in Eretz Israel, there was no, they didn't have a constitution. So the laws, in many ways, were haphazard. But back then, at the time, much of Israeli law even though Israel was meant to be a secular state, was derived from halakha. I don't know if you know this. Even the, this, the way the law was written and the way the law is pronounced in the, uh, the bagats, in, uh, you know, in, the, in the Supreme Court in Israel, a lot of times is phrased in phrases that come from the Gemara, come from halakha. It's wild. There's actually someone who wrote a whole book on the evolution of Torah halakha in secular Israeli law. So today, Israeli law is not governed by Torah or halachic values. It's not. And that's why we have many different scenarios where the secular and the religious in Israel are fighting about what the law should be. Okay? But back then at the time, uh, there was a law that uh, abortion was not legal. So the government was trying to push for legalizing abortion at the time. And at the time, the Minister of Justice was a man called Shmuel Tamir. And he had it in his power to either uh, allow the law to pass or not. Anyway, at the time, the rabbis thought they have to send uh, a, a delegation to the minister to try and tell him that, you know, this idea that abortion should be legal in every case, it's against Torah law. You know, that's just how it is. It's Asur. Now, are there cases, in extreme cases, medical cases? There are extreme cases where halakha would allow it. But to have, uh, uh, you know, it be legalized, where it's up to anybody, for whatever reason, they could just, uh, you know, abort a baby. That's against Torah law. So they picked two people to go and speak to Shmuel Tamir. One was Rabbi Stern, and the other one was Rabbi Yitzchak Levine. Who was Rabbi Yitzchak Levine? The son of Rav Arya Levine. And Rav Arya Levine was a, a rabbi at the time, the Sadiq of Yerushalayim, we talked about this yesterday, he was in the class on Shabbat, he was beloved by religious people, not religious people, Sefaradim, Ashkenazim, uh, you know, everyone. You know, type of guy that could have been Mashiach. <laughs> okay? I mentioned yesterday just a powerful story, I want to share it again, just so you understand who Rabbi Ari Levine was. He used to go visit all the sick, he would visit uh, uh, people in prisons, uh, p- people who were prisons, in prison because of political reasons, for all different sorts of reasons, but he was there for anyone and everyone without any question. He would put himself to the ends of the earth to do things for people. And it, it was so recognized, his value to society, that eventually the Israeli government said that you're, you're walking all these different places, you're an old man, 
the government would like to pay for you to have a driver to take you uh, all, all around because of the service you're providing to society. That's interesting. And he said, well, I'm just a regular guy. You know, I don't need a car. I'll walk. The person gets which means you get reward for every step you take to do a mitzvah. He turned them down. So they tried to get him a gold watch. He said, I don't need it. It's a luxury. No, thank you. Don't want it. They tried to get him this thing, that thing, until eventually uh, one of the people, the minister of education at the time, decided, you know what we're going to do. Sorry, uh, the, the government decided, we're not going to ask him. We're just going to send him something that's not a luxury. So they, they bought on, I don't know, Amazon. They sent to him, they sent directly to his house a heater for his home. Yushalayim in the winter gets freezing. So I don't know if you ever lived there, Shema Yisrael. Stepping on those stone floors in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, Shema Yisrael. You'd rather not go to the bathroom at all, okay? <laughs> I remember when I was in the Dira, yeshiva boys are amongst the most ingenious creations in the history of man. So we had one guy, we had one guy who never liked to step on the floor. But it was also very cold and he didn't have slippers. So the guy took a roll of toilet paper and he made, he lit a roll from his bed to the bedroom. He walked like this on the Yeshiva boys are very creative. Either way. So they sent him this, uh, this heater um, and they're unpacking it and Rabbi Levine, like waiting to see his reaction and he's so happy. They're like, oh, Baruch Hashem, we finally found the gift that we could get the Sadiq of Yerushalayim. And Rabbi Arya Levine said, I've been wanting, I could not figure out how I was going to take care of the poor Almana, the elderly lady, lives across the street, she's freezing. And all of a sudden, I was praying, and look, the heater arrived, and he immediately gave the gift away to this older, elderly woman across the street. You know, what are you going to do with this guy? So finally, the minister of education at the time, a woman, I forget what her name was, she said, you know, she had a great idea, luxuries you don't want. This you don't want. You don't want a car, you don't want a watch. But you're walking in the freezing cold. She thought, you know, she's going to get him gloves. That's something at least he could accept, gloves. And Ari Levine said, you know, there's some people, they're so lonely, all they want is some human interaction. You know, and you know what it does for them when I, when I shake the hand, I give them a handshake. How am I going to shake the hands if I'm wearing gloves? How are they going to get that human contact? Unbelievable. So at the time, this, this type of a person, maybe they ask his son, Rabbi Yitzchak Levine, to go speak uh, to, Shmuel, to Shmuel Tamir. The day before this meeting happens, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Levine comes to Rabbi Stern and he says, listen, you know, you're a big tzaddik, your prayers are heard in the heavens. We need to pray. This is not a simple thing. You know, the success over here is not assured. We need your tefillot. And Rabbi Stern, hearing how, how difficult this case was going to be to try and convince them to not wholesale, you know, legalize abortion, he prays the entire day with all of his heart. The next day they go to Shmuel Tamir. Listen to this, my friends. The next day they go to this minister. And the minister welcomes them in. And Rabbi Levine asks for permission to speak. And he says, yes, yes of course. And he says, before the Medina was uh, set up, you know, they were recruiting all these young guys and girls to be able to fight, to be able to uh, achieve independence. And there was a young woman from a religious family who uh, had kind of got swept away into you know, the fervor and whatever, and maybe she wasn't as religious as she once was. And she met this man who was also one of the fighters, also wasn't religious, but he was maybe even less religious than she was. And they got married and she became pregnant. The husband, who wasn't a religious man, said to his wife, you know, we're young, 
The Medina is just starting, it's not the time now. I want you to get rid of the baby. She didn't really care one way or the other, but she knew her parents, the family, which was religious, was gonna go bananas. So kind of, she was a little bit torn between her husband, who wanted her to get rid of the baby, and the family, which would, you know, would lose their minds, would be so upset, would be sitting in mourning, if you will, for the, the loss of potential life, especially after the Holocaust, where every Jewish baby was uh, fulfilling and, and taking the place of one of the 1.5 million children that were murdered during uh, the Holocaust. At that point, people felt that it was a holy responsibility to have as many Jewish children as possible to replenish the ranks of Am Yisrael. So it was a very, it was even more of a touchy subject than it is, you know, today. So they called, of all people, Rabbi Yitzchak Levine said, they called my father and they said, maybe you could go speak to this woman and explain to the importance, maybe you could convince her, people love you, even religious, not religious, who knows, it's a, it's a difficult situation here. Anyway, he says, of course, the rabbi travels to, the, to, the, you know, to this house, knocks on the door, woman lets him in, he sits down in the dining room table with this woman, and he just starts crying. And he's crying five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, trying to calm him down. Crying, crying, she knows exactly what's, why he's crying. But there's nothing she could do, nothing she could say that's going to stop the rabbi. And the rabbi is heartbroken. You can see that he's genuinely upset about the potential loss of life that's going to occur. Crying, crying, till finally the woman says, Rabbi, I swear to you, I won't abort the baby. Just please, I can't see a holy man like you crying like this. When he heard finally that the baby would live, Rabbi Ari Levine was happy. He stopped, he stopped crying and he left the house. The woman gave birth to that baby and that baby's name was Shmuel Tamir. The minister, his mouth is hanging open. On the spot, he gets on the phone, he calls his mother, he says, is this true? And of course it was. And he's shaking and he swears, I swear, he says, that as long as I'm minister, this law will not pass in Israel. They leave the house, and Rabbi Stern turns to Rabbi Levine. And he says, you had the ace in the hole in your pocket the whole time. You knew that story. You know, whip out this thing. That's what, you know, you want to legalize abortion. You, you, that was with the you. You knew you had the ace in the hole. You go tell me, go pray, pray, pray. As if you don't have the story as a foregone conclusion. Rabbi, Rabbi Levine turned to his, uh, his uh, partner, his compatriot, and he said, story like this, story like that. Nothing goes through without prayers. And I was thinking about this story, and it reminded me of our question that we had today. A person might have in their life many blessings, but there's things that if you don't say it in the right way, if it's not taken in the right way, what happens? Your ace in the hole goes nowhere. Well, you're coming here trying to make me feel guilty. That could it could have went that way. Right? He could have gotten angry at the rabbi. I mean, you're using my personal story. You don't know how it works. Without tefillah, you don't know how it works. And what does the tefillah do? That is what Chazal are talking about when they talk about chen. Chen means two people walk into a business meeting make the same exact pitch. 
One, the boss says, you know something, it's very interesting. The other guy, same thing. I don't know. I'm saying one step further. Yes, it's how you say it. Not how you say the pitch. How you said the prayer before you said the pitch. That's how you say it. Without the prayer of Rav Stern, said Rabbi Yitzchak Levine, this story goes nowhere. Without the, uh, what's it called, the tefillot that a person has, the best pitch in the world falls on deaf ears. And again, sometimes we think we have the ace in the hole. You know, I'm going to go to the person, I'm going to ask for a raise. And you know how I'm going to explain to him? It's going to take him three people to replace me. I do this, I do this, I do this. If you don't give me a raise, I'm leaving. And you don't know, I do the job of three people. I do the books, I do, uh, what's it called, recruitment, I do, uh, you know, you're going to you're gonna have to pay three salaries. You may as well pay two salaries. One guy makes that point, the boss says, you're right, I'm actually saving one salary by paying you two salaries. Another guy, guy fires him on the spot, goes back afterwards, says, I hate these people who are so arrogant. Is your pitch where you're convincing me to get a raise, is it arrogant or is it practical? Which way did it get taken? That's the difference between something that's said with chen versus something that is not said with chen. We're learning Gemara Megillah. We are exactly on this page. The Gemara tells us that Esther had a greenish complexion. Not olive, sorry. Not olive. You know, not mocha. Green. In the class, we called it lizard. Yirak, that's what it says. And the Gemara says that still, Akashverosh chose her. Now, some of you are thinking, you know, I don't know what the dating market was like in ancient Persia. Maybe, you know, green was all he could get. Maybe they were marching in the streets, green lives matter. I don't know. But unfortunately, that's not actually what was going on. Akashverosh literally had his guards go and take every Na'ara, Bitula, everyone, Yifat Mareh. And then Chazal tells us he even took the married women. This man pulled into his harem the most beautiful women, not in his kingdom, in all the kingdoms, in all the world. He did a Miss Universe pageant and then took all the girls and stuck them in the harem and decided one by one to be with them and see who's going to choose. And who does he choose? An elderly green woman, Hazaku Baruch. Why? Because chut shel chesed mashach alea. A string of chesed, a thread of chesed was pulled across Esther. And vatihi Esther no sa'at chen. Unbelievable. And Esther finds favor in the eyes. Why is it like that? That's this beracha. My friends, when you have to have a difficult conversation with your children, when you have to have a difficult conversation with your wife, how do they take it? You have to tell your wife she's spending too much. You can't afford it. You're making less money. You didn't want to tell her. Business is not as good. How does that conversation go down? You need to talk to your kids about the fact you're not happy with their behavior. That conversation goes two ways. One way, the kid takes what you said and becomes stronger. Starts going to shul, starts learning, shapes up, stops taking 
you know, turning to alcohol, to drugs, but one conversation with the dad goes one way. The other one, exact opposite. That's what you think of me? All right. I may, I may as well stop trying. You're thinking you were trying, right? That's, how does it go? You cannot decide that your words will be taken with chen. Who decides that? HaKadosh Baruch Every time we find the word chen, by Yosef, by David HaMelech, we find these ideas, by Noach, in every one of those cases, it's because HaKadosh Baruch wants to be able to give that person that chen. Now, I, wanna, I always love this. Noach matzah chen. <laughs> What's the problem? Noah finds favor in the eyes of God. How many people does Noah manage to convince to come onto his teva? Not one. Not one. The worst yeshiva at least has one student. <laughs> has one. Like, come on. Right? Noah's teva, zero. By the way, it starts raining. He's built the whole teva. He can't convince one shlamazel to come with him. He couldn't find one homeless guy <laughs> sleeping on the streets in front, you know, on Fifth Avenue is uh, Madison. Listen, I, I don't know if you believe the whole flood thing, but if anything's better than this situation, not one guy. <laughs> what do we say? Had Noach found favor in the eyes of the people, had God wanted Noach to find favor in the eyes of the people, then his message would have been heard. A lot of times we have to have those conversations. We need to talk, but we don't have chen. Who thinks like this? I'm about to have a conversation with my son. Hashem, please make this conversation go well. I need to educate my daughter. I need to have a, a hard, a hard, honest conversation with my wife about things, certain things that maybe she doesn't know yet, about me, about the situation, about the family. You know, sometimes you have to tell a parent that you know something about their kid as an educator, as a rabbi. There are times when you have a duty to be able to reveal what you found out in a school or in a school setting or in a trip setting. You have to tell the parent. And you know you have this kid who's suffering from some uh, eating disorder or some problem. They're trying to hurt themselves. You must tell the parents. You must. What's the problem? The parent reacts in the wrong way. 100% what's going to happen to this kid? They'll push him over the edge. You have to pray twice. You have to pray for your conversation. <laughs> And then you have to pray for the parents' conversation. Ya'er Hashem panav elecha. Now this is interesting to me. Because there's two different expressions. And they're almost identical, but not quite. One is Yisa Hashem panav elecha. Hashem should lift His face. Right? God should lift His face to you. The idea of, of Masofanim is found in the Torah in two different ways. One is God is paying attention. One is, God is giving an advantage. Like it talks about by a judge, that a judge, you know, should not show favoritism. What does it call that? 
Lo yisapanim, lo yisapanav, right? Same idea. The Gemara asks about God, Vechi'ika, masofanim lefnei HaKadosh Baruch Is there favor in front of the eyes of God? God says a judge should not be blinded towards one side. That idea is, is masofanim. Now listen, my friends. That's the Yisafa. Yisa means Hashem lifts his eyes. He chooses to turn up or to one side. Ya'er is a whole other thing. God lights up his countenance. He brings light. That is the concept of chen. Light always references in the Torah understanding. Right? The Torah is compared. Kiner. There you go. Right? This idea that Torah is light indicates a higher level of understanding, of acceptance, of wisdom. So God could turn to a person and grant them grace. And how does he do that? By he'arat panim. Also for us, my friends, we have the concept of tefillah, 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 tefillah. We have the concept also of he'arat panim, of showing the person warmth and light. And through that, having our words have chen. You know, some parents think that the way to get a message across is by giving hard truths. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. The problem, the problem is not that you're not being honest or you're being honest. The problem is, have you cushioned the truth enough that the child, the wife, the husband, the parent, the sister-in-law, have you cushioned the truth enough that they're able to take it? And that does not mean by minimizing the truth. It means by cushioning it. One of the ways that a person achieves chen is we know there's a trick that a person can use. Chazal tell us, like water face to face, so too is the heart of a person, so too is the heart of one man to their friend. You look in the water, you see a reflection. Whatever face you're making in the water, that's the face that's on your face, right? It reflects it. If a person comes to someone with love, what happens? What do they engender in the other person? The love. If you're angry, you walk up to someone. Hey, I need to talk to you. Already the guy's like, what are you talking to me about? You don't even know what you're talking about yet. So if a person's trying to find favor in the eyes of someone, how do you beat the system? You show them that they find favor in your eyes. Did you ever think about that? When you give someone a compliment, what are you saying? I respect you. I appreciate you. I notice something positive about you. When you compliment someone, you're already in a stage where the person, you feel that way, you feel good about me, you respect me. What does Kimayim Panim El Panim tell you is going to happen? They will also respect you. Why does a compliment sandwich work? Because of this. If there's a he'arat panim, that engenders chen. If there's chen, then what you need to say can be heard. That's why we say, the words of the wise, benachat nishmaim. What do we mean to say? We don't mean to say that the only words that a chacham could say are words of nachat. Because that's not only Devrei Chachamim. 
If you meet an idiot on the street and he says, nice suit, you take it. Right? Is that true? So what do we mean, We mean that the wise people understand that when you have to say things that are not so nice, that are not so comfortable, that need to be said. So figure out how the thing which is not so nice can be heard by the person as if it's nice. And how do you do that? By making the person understand before you say what you have to say. How you really feel about them as a person. You're one of the nicest people I know. I watch your behavior, how you pray, how you act. And then all of a sudden I find out that you did this. Not, I was disappointed. I realized you're a fraud. <laughs> you make, you're presenting this face, you're really this. You say, this behavior is not becoming of the person I know. My opinion of you is the same. You are a good person, a respectable person, a wonderful person, an honest person. But your behavior was not honest. That's been nachat nishmaim. And that's the chokhmah of divrei chachamim. Benachat nishmaim. What a gift this thing of chen is. You have to pray for it. You have to make attempts as well to be able to get it done. Now my friends, a lot of people struggle. And I'll end with this. A lot of people struggle with that prayer part. They have so many things they need to do. They got to prep for that meeting at work. And they don't come to shul. They're not here in the Beit Knesset. I want to end with this. With a line from Rabbi Adler. Rabbi Adler was a young man uh, in, uh, in the concentration camps. And he used to work in a stable with the horses. And one day he found out there was one person who also worked in the stable and he put on, he managed to sneak into the camps a pair of tefillin. He couldn't believe it. It was the most amazing thing ever. So he asked him, please, if he could borrow the tefillin every day to put on even just for one minute or two minutes. And the man said, of course. But of course he had to find a place where he could put the tefillin on when no one would see him. So he found in the horse stables, behind all of the, the straw and the thing, there was a little spot, a little space. He could go there, no one would find him, and he put on tefillin there every day. Baruch Hashem, Hashem blessed him to survive the war. And he came out, and he eventually moved to Eretz Israel. And he was talking to his yeshiva boys, and he says, I want to remind, I want to remind myself of what it was like to be in that place. And he says, and here, in Eretz Israel, you have all the food that you want to eat. You're not going to bed hungry. No one's hunting you down. You don't have to find a little place to put on tefillin. It doesn't smell, you know, like horses. No one's going to kill you if they find you. You have a wonderful bed, not a barracks, soft mattress. You ate enough. You slept enough. You wake up in the morning. The alarm goes off. It's time to put on tefillin, to go to the bed Knesset. And what do we do? We roll over in our beautiful mattress, in our wonderful apartment, in our free country, with food in our bellies, with security in front of us, with a nice life, and we go back to sleep. This is what he said to his, to his students. And he inspired his students all the time to be able to do more, to be better, to recognize how lucky we are. How lucky we are. How easy we have it. And then he said to them, but easy has consequences. If I didn't put Tifilina on back there, what would Hashem have said to me? Probably nothing. But what will Hashem say to us when our mitzvot are so easy? And the only reason why we're not doing them is because we can't be bothered. His Musar hit its target. 
but only because he found favor in the eyes of his students. Many rabbis who spoke that way to their students, what would the students say? Eh, making me feel guilty. You don't know my life. Hashem should bless us with the greatest blessing of all, the ability to be able to talk truth to the people in our relationships. And the secret for that is only one, le- is only one word with two letters, and that is chen. So next time the Kohanim are giving you that bracha, open your hands and ask Hashem for the extra dose of Ya'er Hashem Fanavelecha Baruch